This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 751 with Dr. Amy Conrad. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 751. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Dr. Amy Conrad is a board-certified pediatrician, founder of Kinder Digital Pediatric Clinic, host of Ask Dr. Amy YouTube and podcast show, anthropologist, and a believer in good information that empowers modern parents to raise healthy kids. As a working mom, she understands the struggle parents face today with an overabundance of conflicting information. Instead of adding to the noise, Dr. Amy cuts through the clutter to pave a more natural, instinctive path to parenting by putting the focus back on the child and family. Through Kinder, which is the first direct-to-family pediatric health service, Dr. Amy seeks to reconnect pediatricians to families in an honest way that cuts out the unnecessary friction. This was a fantastic conversation. We covered so many juicy topics in this one convo together. So I know you're going to want to take some notes. Listen in to hear Amy share the three things that parents can do to give their kids a healthy foundation in life, the importance of modeling health, not just preaching health, the importance of modeling imperfection, that it's okay and normal to be imperfect in your habits, how to help your kids make positive choices around their physical and mental health, especially as they get a little older how we can nurture our kids' mental health and give them some really important anchors so that they feel connected and supported, the current culture of parenting in Western culture, and how we can choose from a variety of options and alternatives rather than simply accepting the Western culture status quo. 
what modern parents need to support their kids in a society that offers them little to no time or resources, and the importance of having your child have multiple attachment figures. So much goodness in here. So please get ready to take some notes. You're going to want to implement some of this right away in terms of how you relate to your child and support your child and health habits and also in modeling imperfect health habits. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Dr. Amy Conrad to the Shameless Mom Academy. Amy, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for our chat. This is going to be fun. You already gave me permission to go on tangents. Yeah, <laughs> my favorites. Like, okay. I know when people yeah. are like, it's fine if we go on a tangent. I'm like, great. I love a tangent. So <laughs> me too. But before we dig into too many tangents, I'm going to first ask you the question I always love to open with is tell us a little bit more about yourself beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Yeah. You know, so my son just turned one this week. So I feel like it's a really fun age, but of course, since having him, you know, the timeline of everything kind of in my mind is time stamped by where he's at. And yeah, it's fun to see him grow and develop. And I think for me, this is where the professional and personal life is coming together. I've been making content for parents for I don't 10 years now, ever since I was a medical student. And I think it's so I've always wondered what it's like to become a parent as a pediatrician. And now I'm in it and I feel like it's giving me a whole new dimension to my professional work and the message I want to send out and the content I'm making for parents. So that is very inspiring to me and very exciting right now. Oh my goodness. I love it. My mom was a teacher for 42 years and she said after she became a parent, like she couldn't imagine, she was so excited to become a parent and she couldn't imagine how it would change her life. And then she never had thought through how it would change her career and how Mm -hmm. she would show up as a teacher once she was a mom. And she said it totally shifted things. And she would always talk to her, the parents of her students to say, once I became a mom, my perspective on everything changed. And like the way that I'm going to treat your child, if they don't get their homework done or something goes kind of sideways in class one day is just so different once you are a parent and you know how easily things can go sideways or things can come up and all those kinds of things. Absolutely. It's completely different. In fact, before I had kids as a pediatrician, I used to, I used to get a little, not offended, but when people ask me or they assume I don't know something because I'm not Mm. a parent, I'm like, well, most doctors haven't necessarily gone through the conditions they're treating, but now on the other side, I'm like, okay, yeah, I I gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) Now I've watched the walk. (laughs) Yes. In fact, I used to, there are some questionable advice I gave in the past. So now that I know as a mom and it's, yeah, it's opened up everything in a different level. Yes. Yes. I was a personal trainer for a number of years. And I remember in my boot camp classes, I would have a lot of moms doing jumping jacks and they would be like, yeah, we can't do that. And I'm like, oh, come on. And then I, became, and I was like, oh my God, yeah, we're not doing jumping jacks anymore. Exactly. Yep. Yes, Understood. Totally hear you. Totally hear you. So can you talk a little bit about as a pediatrician, obviously you're talking with families, parents, and kids about health all day long. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about one of the, or two of the most important things that parents can focus on when it comes to giving kids a healthy foundation in life? Oh, absolutely. So, um, I think for a kid, almost anything that has to do with a child doesn't really change unless the parents model it for them, or unless it's a family effort, um, depending on how old they are, especially in their earlier years, they really are just a reflection and mirror of us. So I think we have, Um, Today's parenting culture puts a lot of pressure on parents to create the perfect experience. And sometimes that pressure leads the adults to be so depleted that ironically, 
we're not really modeling the stuff that we want our kids to do mm-hmm. in all areas of health. And you know that saying about do as I say, not as I do. It's yeah. you know the communication part where we're telling them to do only goes so far. And I this is a reason lifestyle habits and even issues in health they run in families because we are conditioned to be in the same environment. So I think if I were to summarize you know, what, what can be done, the first thing is whatever you want them to do, you have to do it yourself. Mm. Um, and in fact, making that clear commitment as a family, if you have something you all want to change together, I think is actually a powerful um, intention setting to so that the kid also feels the, and you get their buy-in to make the changes together. And this allow opens you up to talk about the process as you're making the change. Let's say you're cutting out soda during the week. You can talk about the difficulties together. If you have a relapse, you can talk about it, you know, showing them that change is hard. It's uncomfortable. It takes time and patience and it's okay to have setbacks. So I think seeing all those as opportunity and then committing as a family to to make those changes. In terms of actual changes, that the other thing I think is to not go for perfection. That's the double-edged sword of our information age. We get so much information and we're inundated with uh, perfect versions of how to do everything. And that's part of what gives us this on a hamster wheel kind of feeling. So to focus on having actual health in real life, I think you have to make it small practical and actionable. So if I had to pick three things to do with kids that you can all do together, one is to fix your diet. And when I say fix your diet, you can make one change at a time. Just commit to one to two things a year. That's huge. Number two is actually to fix your sleep. I think, you know, the <laughs> right. You said parents should model healthy habits. And I was like, right. Oh my gosh. Sleep is like something that, and we think our kids don't see or know what our sleep habits are, but as they yes. get a little older, they totally do. And that is burning both ends at the burning the candle at both ends, I think is just something that moms especially are guilty. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for all of us, we have to fix on, um, focus on the low hanging fruit because there's, you know, well, one, a pill or something quick that always works, but it's actually these mundane, boring things that make a huge difference. Um, especially for kids, it has to do with their biology as well. In the first few hours of sleep before midnight, they get all their growth hormone and, you know, the hormones that are helping them grow and develop. And if you go to sleep too late, you actually don't get those no matter how much later you stay asleep. So Things like that, getting the rhythm of the family in order, that's number two. And number three for kids is to get them outside. And it actually helps with the first two. I think when we say, you know, be active, that sounds kind of abstract, but I think letting kids be outside has the one, you're making, they're probably doing something active, running around. And number two, it actually fixes things like our diet and our sleep, getting kids exposed to sunlight, you know, getting their rhythm in order actually helps having a healthy sleep cycle, sleep rhythm, all of that. So um, yeah, so focusing on the things that you can change today and you can make small incremental steps together and not going for perfection. That's what I would say. I love those tips so much. I want to go back for a minute and touch on the the talking it through piece as you're doing it. So one of the things that I um, have done for many, many years now is get up and work out in the morning. And I do like at this point in my life, my workouts are like pretty short and simple. And my son just sees me do them. One of the things I'm realizing that I have missed the boat on is Mm -hmm. talking through why I do them. And so for me, like a lot of the reason that I get up and work out first thing is because it helps me manage anxiety. And so like I wake up and I have this anxious energy and that just gets it all out for me. Um, 
It also really helps me focus better during the day if I work out in the morning. And so my son, I've always kind of been like, oh, he's, he's going to just think that this is what people do. Like you get up and you work out and that's a great thing to model. But I hadn't thought through the power of explaining to him. The reason I do this is because it really helps me focus during the day or that it helps me get like my nerves to feel better so that I am not worrying about things during the day. I think those pieces are really, really important, whether that's around sleep or spending time outside or eating certain foods or exercising talking through what you're doing and why you're doing it. So then they are making those connections as well, rather than just trying to, so that they can actually see the value, I think. So that that integration for them, I would hope and assume the integration for them would be more automatic and like have easier buy-in because they understand the why behind it. Absolutely. Kids are by nature, they're interested in their parents' lives. If you tell them a story about your past, usually they're very interested. So when, <laughs> totally. you know, my son loves good stories about my past. Exactly. Tell me, mom, tell me about when you were pregnant with me. Exactly. And actually your current state of being, like you said, it's a way for them to know why you're doing things, but it's also a way to let them see that sometimes you miss a workout yeah. or you you don't do well or you miss it for a whole week, but then you go back, you know, this kind of um, talking them throughout process, the ups and the downs, even the yeah. downs, probably more importantly, helps them know that they can overcome those things too. I love that. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So when we help our kids make positive choices around their physical and mental health, how can we integrate that as they get a little older? And so my son is 10, and yeah. I think I've always thought, well, he's going to see me do these things. And so there's this, like, he's going to have a subconscious, this kind of subconscious integration that we 
eat a certain way or exercise a certain way or whatever. But yeah. now that he's 10, talking him through, I think talking him through the why I think is really significant, but then how do we help or how do I help him start to in- integrate these things on his own rather than it being like, this is what you're going to do yeah. kind of forcing on him and letting it be his idea. And as he gets to be older, I'm like things, it has to be his idea for it to actually work. So how do we make these things our kids idea and make, and create that space where they're invested in these opportunities to take care of their health. Perfect. Like you said, the forcing doesn't work. We all know that it doesn't work. Right. And we all culturally expect this teenager phase and this, and kids do change a lot, of course, as they get older and the communication is different. But what we talked about earlier and starting those conversations where you keep building that open space to talk and the relationship that you have actually really affects your conversations and your authority over them as they get older. So I'm going to let the experts, um, there's one book I love. It's called keep your kid. I think it's called keeping your kids close. It's Mm -hmm. by Dr. Gabor Mate. Um, He's a Canadian doctor who specializes in this kind of, he actually specializes in things like ADHD, trauma-informed, you know, therapy, but he really focuses on the fact that it's a myth that you cannot keep your kids with you in a close relationship going into teenage uh, years, but it is dependent on the quality of your relationship with them, how much influence you have over them. So by keeping those channels open and talking and respecting them, and they feel this buy-in from you, you can continue to have a good influence on them throughout those years. So like you just said, you know, you're respecting him, you know that it has to be his buy and those are really good places to start. And then, you know, kids by nature still want to imitate us. And if you don't, if you keep a relationship where they feel like they know you're on, uh, you have their best interest at heart, you're not going to force them to do anything. In fact, you're going to do it together. You can, you know, make it a challenge together or something like that. And then it is okay to make those suggestions. Hey, what do you think about trying this? Why don't we try this for a week? And you let me know how it feels and keep it low pressure and relaxed. And, you know, in those ways, the kids will still want to, how do I say this? They will still be interested in imitating and taking those suggestions, but it depends on the quality of that relationship and bond. Right. I agree. It also, um, and j- taking that one step further, I also think that if they have um, some sort of gratification from the experience, then yeah. they're likely to return to it. And I can use m- myself as an example or our family as an example. We, um, gosh, I think it was during, it would have been during the pandemic. We started doing, taking the dog for like 1 million walks a day because like, what else were we going to do? <laughs> right. So what that turned into was doing a lot of evening walks kind of just to kill time initially. But what I learned yeah. is that my son really loved doing that in the evening. And it was something that gave us the opportunity to talk where there was no eye contact, which was really mm. interesting in terms of like our relationship and things he would share. And so then I think he started seeing it as like special bonding time with mom, especially if I had longer work days, it was like, this is a time for him to get really undivided attention. And it's been interesting now, years later, um, that he still loves doing these walks after dinner when it's, if it's not like dark and pouring rain and it's (laughs) funny how often he are interesting, how often he asks for that, because I think he got some like immediate gratification. Like I get mom time. We're with the dog. We're cracking jokes about the dog being ridiculous. And then if he had like a problem or issue or question or concern. So now even like if there's a hard day at school, he'll be like, can we do a walk after dinner? And that's, and he will (sighs) just immediately start to open up. So it's creating that space and then letting him connect. Like 
this is my safe place to go, or this is my place where I can get things out, or this is my place where I can do this thing and then feel better afterwards. Um, and there's a lot of times when I don't feel like doing a walk, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm like, I will always say yes, because Uh, I just think it's so valuable. And so that's something I feel like we kind of stumbled into, but I've really tried to nurture that because for all the reasons you gave. I love that story. And you modeled many different things in that story. So for example, you went on the walk with him. You didn't say you go take the uh, dog for a walk. You know, like we said in the beginning, uh, modeling the behaviors, doing it together. And yeah, bonding, especially for certain kids, it's a lot better to be doing something while you're talking rather than sit down and have that conversation. Some kids respond to that, but a lot don't. And you noticed that he was opening up and you noticed the bond deepening and it's a good... So all of those are great. Just keeping your being attuned to the child and what they're needing, what's working for them and also being in it yourself. So that's perfect. I love that. My hope is that... <laughs> Yeah, it's like now I've like created a long-term goal out of this where I'm like, okay, so as a 10 year old, I'm hoping that as he gets older, if he's 12, 13, 14, 17, and something Mm -hmm. is really weighing on him that he can be like, Hey mom, can we go for like that? He knows that that's the safe place. So I'm hoping like that this is a foundational thing. Well, I'll have to get back to you in a few years. (laughs) What Dr. Mate would say, you're doing great. And that's what, you know, we have to think of our relationship with the kids, like the way we nurture any relationship, um, Mm -hmm. spouse, friend, whatever it is, it's, there's a lot of powerful biology there that makes you bonded. But as they get older, that bond has to be cultivated. And what you're doing like that, that's a great thing to start and continue. I think you make such a great point that it's like any other relationship that we have yeah. to nurture it. I think sometimes we're so in the like minutia yep. and like the nitty gritty of parenting that we're checking boxes. Like, did I make the lunches? Did I mm-hmm. do this? Did I fill out the forms? Like all the things, which is so much <laughs> to be like, oh, and did I check the box of nurturing my relationship today? <laughs> like, that's like a really big Oh gosh. Box. But you're absolutely right. And I don't think, you know, it doesn't have to be done in like really big, intense ways on on a daily basis, but little things to nurture, I think can probably, you know, can go a really long way. And for us to be thoughtful about like, that actually is one of the important boxes to check. It's not just about making the stupid lunch. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, of course, to us, we know how much we love our kids. It's like, we don't have to talk about it, but sometimes if we don't, think of intentionally nurturing the relationship. That's not what people necessarily experience. Like how we feel is not what we're projecting a lot of times. So just like in other relationships that if I, you know, had to create a hierarchy, it's probably the most important so that they, the thinking about how they experience us, not just, of course, we're thinking about their good all the time, but they might not know that if we don't have that bond. Right. Right. I want to dig into mental health a bit. I think that this is such a scary topic. Uh, yes. It's interesting because like when I was growing up, I was born in 1975. Like yep. when I was growing up in 1985, no one was talking about like, nope. Sarah, how's your mental health? And I will say it probably at times was not that great, but yeah. I think that we really clearly have a mental health crisis among young people. Yeah. And that's so scary as a parent, because I think that it feels very big and vast and unknown mm. in terms of How do we approach mental health with our kids? What do we need to be looking for? How are we cultivating relationship with our children so that we can be a safe place for them? So can you talk a little bit about what we can do around all of the, I know this is a huge question, but what are your thoughts? (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, this is, oh gosh, it's scary personally, professionally. I mean, I don't even, the gap between where we are and what we 
should do and what we hope to do is so vast. Like you said, it's hard to know where to start. I think starting from a larger scale, you know, now we're realizing everyone is raising their hands. Okay, this is a crisis. It's maybe the most important crisis facing us. And what are we going to do about it? I think that there's no smoking gun. There's not one thing that we can do to fix this. If it were, you know, we'd already be hopefully doing that. But we have to recognize that so many elements to the way we live today has contributed to this. Starting all the way back from pregnancy, maternity leave, supporting young families, the cost of childcare, what were the food that were you know in children's diet, the early childhood education, all the way to the social media that they're consuming, and this generation not being as in touch with real life, the family structures. So I think as a society, there's we just need different groups to focus on different pieces of the pie because mental health is a culmination of all of these. It's the whole family's mental state. It's passed on generationally. So in every direction, we need to do better. So I think the good thing in my perspective is that at least the conversation, I'm hearing more conversation on every level. So I'm hopeful that we can move the needle in these areas. In terms of what can be done today, I think the one theme that comes up over and over in the really tragic stories that we hear about mental health and the kids who get into a lot of trouble is the, I would say the lack of the real life connection that is anchoring them. So I think we are quick to point to screens and phones and those are the issues. But to me, it's not just in a vacuum that the screen is bad for you, but what is it replacing in your life? And I think for so many of our young people today it's replacing in real life connection whether that's with their family or with other people. And as parents, I guess the part that we can influence the most would be at home. So I think that we can't really tell our kids to get off the phone and don't read the social media stuff and be relaxed without offering them something tangible to anchor to. And this is vastly different depending on what age we're starting with. Like we said earlier, this is a long relationship. And if we get to you know a certain year in their later in their childhood, it gets much harder to get started. But I do think it's never too late. I've worked with many families where I think the parents just have to first turn the mirror on themselves and see, take an objective look at what is happening at home and where they can make a difference. The quickest way, the most effective way to make a difference is internal. So instead of telling the kids to do something different, I think we have to turn it back on ourselves. How can we offer more of a bridge, a connection, something that they can latch onto that offers them something rather than the the virtual world that I think is a big culprit in the mental health crisis. Mm. You use the word anchor. We'll use the word connected first. And then you use the word anchor. And I think those both are really significant. But um, when I think about a child feeling anchored and connected in their world, regardless of whether or not that's, regardless of kind of how many connections there are. Mm -hmm. When we hear stories about some of these really tragic incidents where children do things, children and young adults do things that impact communities in really big ways, whether it is um, through gun violence or self-harm and kind of anything else kind of across that spectrum. Yeah. What we do see over and over again is that lack of anchoring and connection. And it seems from what I have read that you don't need to have a 
kid that has like 1 million connections, <laughs> like that everyone's no. their friend yeah. and that they have this vast no. family network. It's no like just a couple being anchored in a way that there's a couple solid connections yep. so that if there's a crisis happening, that people closest can sense it, see it coming, see some red flags. And that that child would feel like they had a place to express fear, worry, you know, anxiety and all the things that come with that. Yeah. Or they're all the things you said and that they actually feel like a person. I think there's a lot of like loss of personhood for kids Mm -hmm. who only interact in a virtual world. And lack of identity is that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think our reality is actually such a vague concept that so much of what gives us our identity and perspective has to be experiences. And if their experience is overwhelmingly online, first, if they don't have the connection in real life, we know that social media and the virtual world is designed to suck you in and designed to offer you a very attractive kind of alternate identity that at the end of the day actually doesn't provide the foundation. So um, I think when we talk about anything parenting, it's really easy. It's funny, especially for this show, you know, shame is at the center of every topic. And I think most parents, we think, oh, wait, we didn't do that. I didn't do that part. I should have done that. So that's inevitable to think like that. But I think it's important to emphasize that we see success all the time in families with a 17 year old, that if they just, if they switch their perspective, the parents into how they're recognizing their child's personhood, one moment of connection, one change in the way they communicate can make a huge difference. And also our relationship with the kids don't stop at 18. Hopefully they, we have a arguably longer time interacting with them as adults. And I think this continues to be important and we can cultivate the best time to cultivate that relationship was when they're born and the second best mm-hmm. day is today. So yeah. I think the importance is to start wherever you decide to make the change. Yeah. I think as kids get older, it can be, as it can be in any relationship, it can be really awkward to bring up a hard subject. And then you're like waiting for the right time. You're like, okay, so should I do (laughs) on the drive to basketball on the way to school? And I was talking with another um, guest we've had on the show a couple of times, Dr. Amy Lang, who Mm -hmm. is, uh, she does sex education for parents and families and she's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And so she, what we talked about a lot was like, how do you bring up these really awkward, uncomfortable topics? And she's like, here's the thing. Kids are not going to notice if you have like an awkward intro to a hard conversation. They're not paying attention to like how you kick off the convo. They're just like, (laughs) okay, sure. Like if you bring it up, they're going to talk about it. Or, I mean, they might, if if they don't want to talk about it, they're going to shut down no matter what. So she's like, just to approach your child and be like, Hey, so I was thinking about this thing and kind of just get into it rather than being stuck in your head about like, okay, how do I say this thing? And that's awkward and it's weird. And I've done this with my son a number of times now around hard things. And I can use a recent example um, over, it was a few months ago, but around Halloween, I was like, oh, I'm seeing all this stuff about fentanyl. And I'm like, this seems weird to go to my 10 year old and be like, (laughs) don't eat anything that's not packaged and sealed on Halloween because it might be fentanyl. (laughs) It felt like such a leap into a conversation we'd never had before. But I also was like, at some point I have to do this. And so I was on the walk to school one day, like, oh, by the way, when you're thinking about Halloween and getting excited about trick or treating, and I kind of just dig dug into it right there. And he was like, oh, okay. I thought nothing of it, but it was interesting. Now months later, he came to me and he said, mom, 
We saw an M&M on the gym floor at practice the other day, but nobody touched it in case it was fentanyl. And I was like, oh, oh my God, I'm nice. I was like, I'm so <laughs> glad I had that weird conversation. that was like, oh, by the way, this thing called fentanyl. <laughs> and so he knew. And the other thought I had was, I'm glad I said something to him. And also if I hadn't said something, his peers would have been talking about fentanyl. And that's exactly. not where I want him getting that information. So sometimes it's like getting out of our own heads around just starting the conversation rather than thinking, okay, like I'm going to wait till this time. And then we put it off and put it off and maybe never do it. Yeah. Hard conversations get easier for, to us. It's perceived as easier with more practice. Yeah. So, um, this reminds me of, I think Tina Fey was giving an interview on a talk show somewhere. And she said, having a teenage daughter is kind of like talking to your high school crush where like oh. you're thinking, she's like, you're thinking about them a lot more than they're thinking about you. 100%. And, and she's like, you just go up to the door awkwardly. And you're like, so some of us are going to have dinner, <laughs> you know, like really awkward. Like you said, awkward because yeah. we're, you know, and that's totally, it's normal. It's universal. And it gets easier with practice. Like you said, now right. that you've had that one experience, you know, the next time that also think about the way kids talk to us, there's no context. There's not, they just, Hey mom, I, yeah. you know, so they're actually not thinking in the same way that we are. And I think it's okay to feel because actually that to me shows that we're taking the conversation seriously. That's a good thing. We're thinking about how to speak to them. That's definitely better than the alternative, which is not being mindful of where they are. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's funny to me that we feel that way, but we do. And um, it's something that I think gets better with practice. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to talk a little bit about our concept of parenting in this current cultural time and place. It feels so weird and tricky and hard and mm. I keep thinking as I'm navigating so many, I mean, I feel like it started with the pandemic, but then there's been, just been like layers upon layers upon layers since then. Um, and probably because of the age of my child where he was, you know, seven or oh, at the yeah. beginning of the pandemic. So he's also been in this place where there's been an increased opportunity for conversation because he's gotten a little bit older during this season yep. um, and able to grasp more things. But can you talk a little bit about this, the current culture that we're in and how parenting has shifted and any support you might offer. Yeah, <laughs> of course. This is one of my favorite topics, just personally. Um, my background is I was born and raised in China and I moved here with my family when I was 11. So by definition, I grew up with two cultures, two languages, two completely different perspectives. So I always knew implicitly that you're perspective, your culture shapes the way you view the world. And it was very normal to me that, you know, people just have completely different views and that's okay. So in college before medical school, I um, studied anthropology as my undergraduate degree. So that's taking it one step further. You actually study how culture colors everything you do. So now that I'm a pediatrician and a mom, I see this every day. We are cultural animals, but we also don't realize that that's the case. You know, the famous story of um, two fish are swimming in the sea one day and one of them says to the other, uh, or sorry, a third fish comes by and says, hey guys, the water's great today. And they swim past. And a few minutes later, one of them says to the other, what's water? <laughs> oh so it's kind of like that. We don't realize how in every way, where we are in history, where we are in the world, 
colors how we think of parenting, how we think of um, how children should be raised, what our roles are as parents. And especially as parenting as a verb, as a concept gets more intense, I think I personally get very anchored by the fact, like you said, when we were growing up, we didn't have any of this. And for me, I was growing up on the opposite side of the world where uh, materially we didn't use any of the stuff we use today, but also the attitude was also very different. And um, if we just think of where we are in the world, so many different countries and cultures do things differently. I think the takeaway that we can um, have from this, and of course, this is going to be speaking in broad generalizations, as it always is when talking about culture, that in the West, um, in the developed countries, in America, we have a lot of resources, we have a lot of um, ambition and anxiety around parenting because we want it to go well. We care so much about our kids. We want to offer them every single thing. And we bring a lot of the things that we um, use in our professions that give us professional success. We bring it into parenting. And I think we currently live in a culture where there's been more and more pressure and expectations and just information thrown at parents than ever before. So I think the job in some ways has gotten harder, much harder mentally, because we're always doubting ourselves, always looking for you know the next thing. So I think, um, you know, something that can help is really to zoom out. And for me, I love reading actual resources and books about concretely, how do other cultures do this in a way that, you know, we can always learn from each other, but also just to know that there are people out there who see this completely differently. I think that itself is a relief because it keeps us from fixating on one thing. We feel like we're failing the end of the world because it's not like this, but you know, there are billions of people who don't think that way. So one of my favorite books is called Bringing Up Bebe. It's a American woman living in Paris, raising her children there and observing French parenting, French kids. There's always, uh, there's also the Danish way of parenting. You know, she talks about their total philosophy differences between American and and, uh, Danish parenting. And I recently did a podcast episode on the way that different things are done around the world. For example, in Japan, how they uh, foster really early independence, how in Denmark, the kids sleep outside for their naps, um, how in India, you know, the interfamily based living. And just, I love exploring these things, just to remind myself that there are a million ways to do everything. So the way that you do it, it just has to work for you and you get to choose what's important for your family. And I don't, I've learned a thing or two from reading about the different cultures and trying to, you know, get tips and tricks from each of them that would work best for me. So, um, I think keeping in mind that our experience as anything, and especially as parents is a product of where we are in history. And we have the power to also make those choices and decide what's important to us. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, 
life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. I think you, I love the idea or the point that you make about like zooming out and because mm-hmm. we're so in it, we sometimes or not sometimes we often, if not always, we can't see outside of ourselves. And when you stop and think about worldwide, what parenting looks like historically, what parenting looks like all of a sudden, some of the spinning or stuckness that we can get trapped in, it feels like there's expansiveness and different options than right there. Mm -hmm. I think it's also an invitation to listen inward. I think one of the things we talk about so much on the show is challenging the status quo and not necessarily just blindly accepting what's right around you or what everyone else is doing or what cultural society or the patriarchy says is the quote unquote right way or the best way. Yes. It's really listening inward to be like, what do I need or what is right for my child or my family? And like listening to your instincts. And I think that we, because we are so inundated with information, it's really easy to shut down our internal intuition and stop listening to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I love the idea of recognizing there's a million ways to do this and there's a million great ways to do this. And you can listen inward to identify, listen inward and also do some research for things that are not just right in your bubble to see what might be the best option for you, for your family, for your kids um, at this time, given what your specific needs are, not necessarily what your kids' friends are doing or what the school says or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, most humans in history have been raised completely differently from how we are today and everybody turned out fine. (laughs) You know, nobody, (laughs) nobody's perfect and neither will our kids be perfect. But I think, especially in the virtual mom world, there's a lot of, I see a lot of tribalism where people get not just invested in one way of doing things, but are militant about that as the only way. And I think that kind of messaging is usually not helpful because usually people are talking about themselves and that's fine if they choose that. But I think we have enough guilt and shame around this whole experience that we need to be more inclusive about the different ways that we can do this and still be a great mom and raise great kids. And also just to take the pressure off of doing it one specific way and be perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that you point out that people, when people say like what works, 
in air quotes again, like what works, it's what happened to work for them. But people yep. present it as if it's like scientific data. And yep. I think sometimes when we're sharing anecdotal stuff, it can be supportive, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the thing that works for everyone. And I think this is especially dangerous when we look at like influencer culture on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at, and I was in the fitness industry for years and this came up all the time. It's like, well, if you want to have this kind of a body, here's the three steps. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily going to like, if I don't have the same genetic makeup as you, those three steps might make my body look totally different than your body. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with parenting. And like, you know, the thing that works for the 10 year old down the street might not work at all for my kid. And the thing that works for my kid might not work for someone else. Um, I think being really cognizant of that is really, really important because I think that we sometimes get wrapped up in stories and anecdotal evidence that's like not necessarily that there's not necessarily a lot of truth around. I want to yeah. shift into um modern working parents a bit. I know yeah. in this in our audience we have a lot of families where both parents are working in the household. We have many many working moms. What are your thoughts on what modern parents need to support their kids and themselves in a society that offers so little support oh gosh for, so little working parents and in the case of this audience working mothers sometimes i joke that i'm ready for calming living yes <laughs> yeah right like sister wives is not the worst yes. thing i've ever heard of <laughs> you know they at least they have built in help well, again, through so much of human history, we never really lived as isolated as we do today. And jokingly or not, I actually see this idea coming up. And I think if it is at all possible to you, I think that realizing what being in a community can do for your family, for your kids' mental health, having multiple attachment figures, it's, it is worth making the trade-off, I think, if you can be closer to family, closer to a network of like-minded individuals, then you can share this experience in any way. I think that, you know, short of changing our policy drastically, that is one thing. I actually see this happening, especially just at least the conversations, you know, people moving to the same area, um, the pods during COVID kind of gave us a jumpstart on this. Um, People starting to homeschool with other parents that believe in the same thing. So I think conscious community building is actually not something new, but going back to something that has always worked for us. It's so good for kids to have multiple attachment figures. I think it's impossible for two parents, even if they're not working, to be everything that a child needs. And the more attachment figures they have, the better it is to support their mental health. Because like we said, the points of contact and anchoring, um, we're just in our biology, we are made to be a packed animal. So I think consciously creating that in any way that you can, it is totally worth the trade-off. And for us, you know, we, we don't live next to grandparents, but we're always thinking, how can we move, literally pick up and move just to be closer to our families. And I think, Mm. especially when you're raising kids in those years, if you can't be with family, maybe find the people that you can build a community with. And as for our society, how to better support parents. I ask every guest this on my podcast, because I don't know what the perfect answer is, but I think that what we're doing now is not working. And Mm -hmm. again, looking abroad, there are different options that other countries are, I think, you know, it is possible to do a lot better. Um, in Germany, for example, maternity leave is two years. And we, oh my gosh, <laughs> right? 
It's two as, years as an entrepreneur who had like a two days of maternity leave. Right. There's actually no maternity leave for entrepreneurs. Right. I mean, it's can, not yeah. like, a, I can't yeah. even imagine. Right. And I want to also acknowledge, like I was super privileged in my maternity situation, Yes. but, but still. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And you know, we probably can't make that leave right away, but for example, in Chile, maternity leave is five and a half to six months, which I always thought is very reasonable because of the biology of breastfeeding. Yeah. And if we want to talk about supporting breastfeeding, you know, uh, pumping is an option, but how great would it be if we can actually give those six months to people if we can? Right. So those things take commitment. Um, again, starting the conversations. I love what we're talking about. Um, I know it didn't work out in the, in the recent attempts, but we're trying. And I think those are important things to make an effort towards. So I think in the immediate, we, and even if those things come through, I think community building, being close to a network, those are always going to be better for everyone's mental health. And I think a big part of the crisis does have to do with how isolated modern life is. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to give a couple examples of some, uh, so I want to actually before my examples, um, you mentioned, you said it the, when you said, you said it twice. And when you said it the first time I was like, oh, we're going back to that. So you said multiple <laughs> attachment figures. And I was like typing notes, like we are returning <laughs> to that. And then you returned to it. And this is so important. When I was getting my degree 1 million years ago, um, <laughs> my, one of my psychology professors did her dissertation on attachment theory. And I was completely fascinated by attachment theory and yeah. the importance of attachment from the day you're born and primary caregivers. And, and so when you said multiple attachment figures, I know the importance of children having multiple attachment figures. And so whether that, you know, that typically includes parent, whoever are, whoever the primary caregivers are in a household, yeah. but it can definitely include people beyond the household. And this came up for me a couple of years ago. One of my best friends reached out to me. Her daughter was like 12 at the time and had just gotten her first, gotten her cell phone. And she said, Hey, we got my daughter, the phone. I'm she's only allowed to put like a few contacts in there, but I want her to put your number in because oh. I want her to have an safe adult to that she can reach out to that could do anything for her anytime if we were not available, but also to have a safe adult that she could turn to if things went sideways at home. Or like, mm -hmm. if like I'm 14 years old and I'm so mad at my mom and I don't want to talk to her instead, I'm going to text Sarah. And I was like, so honored, but then yeah. I also was like, that is so important. <laughs> and now I'm recognizing now as my son is 10, I'm recognizing the importance of having and it reminds me of something Glennon Doyle talks about. We belong to each other, that we do belong to each other. And so how can we be parental caregivers and attachment figures to each other's children in the ways that that makes sense? And so I'm noticing as my son gets a little older, some of the kids that I have in my house on a really regular basis, like I feel a sense of ownership over them. Yeah. Like not because I want to boss them around, but because I want to take <laughs> care of them. And I want them to know that like if things go sideways, I can reach out to Sarah. And I know that there's some other parents that are in the same boat where like, if my son does not want to have anything to do with me, that they would definitely listen to him, meet his needs, do like support in any way that they could. And I think that, I think that you're right. The pandemic did lend to that a bit because we got, we practiced being in yeah. pods for yeah. the first time ever for so many of us. And it sort of cultivated some of those really um, deeper connected relationships that I think are now really significant and powerful. 
I love that. And you actually, that is exactly intentional community building that we just talked about. So even though we don't naturally have that in our society structure, intentionally cultivating that from, you can start as early as before your kids are born, just making a decision that you're going to raise your kids together. That actually, I think that's healthier for every relationship, including with their primary caregiver, the fact that they have other sources to go to, because some things it is just harder to go to your parents and to have someone else to go to frees up every kind of avenue and keep the communication going and make them feel safer. And honestly, our biology is still programmed that way and has not caught up and changed with how fast our society structure changed. So keeping those ties, I think is so important. Oh my goodness. Oh, Amy, this has been so good. (laughs) (laughs) I I love this conversation. I know. I know. I I would love to dig in more. So we'll have to, we'll have to do a follow-up at some point because I just feel like there's so many juicy things here that are so important. So I want to make sure that people find out about the work that you do and where people can find you, connect with you, get your resources. So can you tell people a bit about what you do and how you serve people? Absolutely. So um, for all of my content, you can find me at Ask Dr. Amy. Um, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Instagram, I'm on podcasts. Um, My website is askdramy.com. My goal there is to create content for parents that they can trust that is evidence-based and scientific, but also with connection and attachment in mind and kind of being realistic about not just, you know, being perfect, but what we can actually do to raise healthy kids. I think um, it's just an honor to be a resource for parents and I'm open for questions. My podcast, Ask Dr. Amy, actually features questions that get asked to me. So I love that. I do have a, a company called Kinder where I offer direct pediatric care to, to patients, but I will say we're kind of in the middle of an exciting transition that I can't talk about quite yet. So uh, you can, they can definitely find that through my website, but I'm not, I, there's going to be some changes coming with it's, some it's key coming partners. in the pipeline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I would say for now, ask Dr. Amy for um, you know, resources, I have a newsletter, just all kinds of um, parenting stuff. And it's also my, me sharing my experience as a parent as well. I love it. And ask Dr. Amy, doctor is spelled out. So it's A-S-K-D-O-C-T-O-R-A-M-Y. We'll link everything up in the show notes so people can just click right through your website and all your resources that you just mentioned and shared. And then if you, for people listening to this podcast on on whatever podcast platform you're listening right now, you can listen to Ask Dr. Amy, um, the podcast as well. So people can go listen and subscribe to that. Yeah. Final question before I let you go. Tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. Oh gosh. So I think everything I just said, I'm kind of taking a untraditional, uh, like untraditional route with my career being a pediatrician and doing what I believe is the right thing to do. And I think there is pressure to be a certain way as a doctor or to follow a certain path. And I think I feel called to do something else and I love it. Oh my goodness. We're so grateful for your work. And it's so refreshing to, I think that you have, um, just a really in-depth and layered approach to pediatrics that is refreshing and not so templated, (laughs) which I think is really really important. I really appreciate it. It feels like a, it feels like, um, a major upgrade. (laughs) We have a fantastic pediatrician, but I know that not everyone has that experience. So just thank you for the work that you're doing. Cause I think it's really, really important. Thank you. I will make sure that everyone gets resources in the show notes and then Amy, whenever you have more things to share, please come back to the show. This was such a delightful conversation and I'm so, so grateful for your time today. Likewise, I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.